We're throwing off the filters of tradition and culture to discover what the Bible really says about our relationships, relationships with God, with ourselves, and with others. Welcome to this episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. Welcome. I'm Julie Sedanko, and I'm here with Jane. She was married for 38 years and has been divorced for just six months. She's here to tell the story of how sexual addiction destroyed her marriage, how she made that decision to leave, and how she's doing today. Jane, thank you for being with us today. You're welcome. Back in 1993 was the first initial shock of your life. Can you tell me what happened? We had been married at that point for nine years. And um, my husband came to me and told me that he had had an affair. I actually uh, thought he was coming to, you know, he said he had something important to tell me. I thought we had been talking about maybe having a third child. And actually, that was my first thought of what maybe he was talking, wanted to talk to me about. So this came totally out of the blue. I was, I was totally shocked that happened about nine years into our marriage. And down the road later on, you found out that that affair wasn't even his first one. Is that right? Yes, that's right. You know, the only reason he told me was because he had gotten found out by the affair partner's husband. Otherwise, he wouldn't have told me. But anyways, throughout partial discovery, which they didn't have a term called discovery back then, but during partial discovery, I did learn that he had had another brief affair about five years into our marriage and that he had a secret pornography addiction that I never knew anything about. Jane, tell me what was going through your mind at that time? That's such a betrayal. It, you know, I, I just can't even describe. It was like a nuclear bomb. I was just so shocked and so hurt. We were both Christians. We met in a Christian organization. We were, you know, went to church. Our faith was important to us. Our faith was important to our families. You decided not to leave, but to get marriage counseling. Is that correct? Yeah, I was just devastated, but we kind of kept it a secret. His sister and her husband, we were very close with. They, you know, were supportive. They didn't live in the same area, so they knew. We had just moved to this area, so there was another pastor and his wife who we didn't know all that well, but anyway, his wife was just such a support to me. But none of my family knew, none of my close friends knew, so I, I felt so alone. Was it your it, choice not to tell, or was he the one that said? No, I think it was kind of both our choice. We were just so, I don't know, it it was just felt so shameful. And I don't know, I think that's just part of sexual addiction and betrayal trauma in that situation, especially in a, from a Christian background. I think it's really hard to, to step out and talk about it. Do you feel like that was a mistake? Do you wish looking back that you had shared it with the world, I guess, or at least your, your inner circle more? I think it would maybe would have been easier, but my my counselor who I've had this time, she said, Jane, you know, you just have to realize that the support and the knowledge of sexual addiction just wasn't there at the time. True. 
it really wasn't available to people. So, you know, I just have to, you know, try to say that God allowed it. And I don't know why the timing and, you know, I just have to have peace about that. And you also had two very young children at the time. Two children ages four and two. So that was same thing. Just, you know, I can remember actually thinking, what do women do who don't have an education or a way that they could support themselves if they wanted to leave? I mean, I had that option. I'm a physician. And so I could, you know, I could divorce him and, you know, be okay on my own. But I just thought, I feel trapped. And how must other women feel who don't have that when something like that would happen to them? So I just thought how hard, you know, it was for me, how hard it would be for in that situation. So you guys did go to marriage counseling, which Leslie, Leslie has said, and I know you've probably learned now that she doesn't necessarily recommend marriage counseling for things like this, because though affairs and that type of thing cause intense marriage problems, it's not a marriage problem that caused this. It was a problem with your husband. Yeah, which I, I think I knew that deep in my heart. But, you know, the recommendation or, you know, we thought we have to get help. So we went for marriage counseling and same thing. I think now there are specialized counselors for, for the betrayer and also for the partner. You know, there's a whole field of that now that's just so helpful. But back then there wasn't that. So we went to a regular marriage counselor, you know. What was that like? I think I, same thing, felt very alone. I mean, I didn't feel supported at all. Well, I don't want to say at all, but very little. You know, there were things like trying to look at, you know, how was I not, not a good enough wife, but kind of that was the implication or that was how I tried to see it. How did you contribute to this? How did I contribute to it exactly? And I think in a way, looking back, you know, if I could say I wasn't a good enough wife or I didn't pay enough attention to his love languages and, you know, things like that, in retrospect, I think that was my way to say, okay, maybe some of this is my fault because then, see, I could control it and keep it from happening again. So I think that was sort of my thinking, you know, more date nights, all that sort of thing which now I know is totally ridiculous. ridiculous. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, but at the time, I think I, I had that as what Leslie calls hopium, you know, that I hope that if I made these changes, then it wouldn't ever happen again. So, and, and we did more than that. We did a focus on the family intensive, same thing. I felt very sort of ignored you know they focused on him which was right but no one addressed my pain very well but again that was decades ago yeah Uh, and my husband got very involved in promise keepers that was a movement for men's integrity back right around then that was the early 90s 
so eventually over time, I did feel that he and the pornography was discovered so that at least was known. So I did feel like, you know, there was hope. My husband did accountability with his brother-in-law regarding that. And so anyway, gradually I came to trust him again and actually trust him enough eventually in four years. Well, not four years, maybe three years later, we had another child. And so life was going along then, what I thought was, you know, good. Really another decade or so, isn't that right? It was another 11 years and uh, there was another discovery. It was basically the same thing. And he acted out with another affair with a coworker, which is what had happened both of the other times. Well, and this is, I think, an important thing. You guys are both surgeons you and your husband. And so he was having affairs with nurses that you both worked with. Yes. So you had to go into work and be in surgery with a woman that you probably would want to take a scalpel to. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, that would be incredibly difficult. What was was that like for you? I don't know. Some of it's blocked out of my mind, but it was just overwhelming feelings of grief and loss and anger and really more than anger rage and pain I don't know it was just so so difficult and did you confront the women did you talk to them oh no I didn't I just didn't that one she actually left and worked somewhere else at you know at some point which I had said I will not stay here if she continues to work at, at our hospital. And so my husband made some arrangements. It's kind of complicated, but anyways, she ended up leaving. So I think that probably had something to do with it, but. Oh, so, um, and at this so point, was, was his pornography, It could, was the internet a thing at the time? Yeah. What happened then, that that is part of it. See, the original in 1993, that was like magazines and so on. That's what was available then. But then when this happened in 2003, four, a decade later, high-speed internet had just come. And so I found out later that he might say he was doing a late case or had a late patient in the office, but we had high-speed internet at our office not at home. So, you know, I think the pornography use increased again. And then his acting out, that's what they call it in sexual addiction. Some men act out with prostitutes or random hookups, as they call them, or, you know, cyber sex, there's all sorts of things now. But anyways, the way my husband would act out would be these affairs. So anyway, that was the next one was in 2004. So tell me, tell me at that point, I mean, you've, you feel like you've weathered this first affair. You feel like you've gotten over it. And then that just had to feel just heart ripped out again. I mean, it was, it was just I, same thing, I just can't even describe the pain and the loss and the grief and the sorrow. And a lot of people knew this time because I don't remember exactly how it came out, but through work and my husband had to step down as a deacon, that sort of thing. Oh, that's what it was. 
the person who figured it out told the associate pastor at our church who was good friends with my husband and so that's how you know the church leadership found out my husband stepped down as a deacon so it kind of got out in the community and and where we worked and so then I'm trying to think so then we went to a different counselor marriage counseling and he would do some individual counseling and I felt more cared for by him but still he was not a specialist in the field he counseled us. I did all this figuring out of what had actually caused the pornography in my husband's young life when he started first got his first exposure to porn at about the age of 10 or 11, which is very common in these men. What had happened in his family of origin, and I sort of explored that, but my husband really would not go there with that counselor. But anyways, we went to that counseling for about a year, had not told the kids who were now 16, 14, and nine. After about a year, well, that counselor had right away had me be on the phone with my husband calling that affair partner and him telling her basically they would have no more contact. You know, he didn't want any contact from her and he would not contact her with me on the phone. And so then about a year after all this counseling, my husband actually recontacted the affair partner to tell her that some things that had been said about her, he hadn't really said. And he actually told me that, which like totally re-triggered me, just sent me, you know, into the outer space again. And so at that point, that counselor told us that we should divorce. And he was a Christian counselor, just kind of said, you know, I just think you should divorce. And so we were both kind of shocked at that. I don't know why, but we were. And then this brother-in-law of mine knew a counselor who supposedly he had written a book called Twisted Thinking, had worked with men with different sexual issues and recommended that my husband see him. So I'm like, okay. So my husband would actually fly to a different state to see this guy like every couple of weeks. And I went out there a couple times and he was very committed to the idea that this should be brought into the light. And he was a Christian counselor too, and that we should tell our children, we should tell our family, you know, it should not be a secret. And I was getting really concerned the kids were gonna find out anyway, and I didn't want them to hear it from someone else. So, anyway that was well let me say I said if we are going to tell everyone I want a separation I cannot I want him to know how serious this is and I just can't you know I can't live with this happening so we did end up separating for a year but anyways we did tell the kids which is probably even though these discoveries were awful that was probably that's probably my worst memory of my entire life is telling the kids why is my, that? my husband told them he took responsibility I'm just sitting on the couch crying the kids were just totally shocked that this their dad could do this so it was it was really hard and then we separated for about a year and I just tried to figure out what to do and this counselor you know he set up an accountability group here in our town, which was not, you know, 
in retrospect, same thing. He was not a sexual addiction counselor, but they didn't really have that then. I mean, maybe they did, but we didn't know about it. You know, there wasn't, you know, like I didn't use the internet at all. So, and, and there was starting to be some specialization, but we didn't know that. But anyways, the accountability people were like the pastor, you know, some men in the church that he was friends with. So see if he would have, they call it a slip up. You know, he wasn't going to go to them because of the shame. They call it a slip up? Yeah, they call it a slip up. Like if they would look at porn or, you know, do something. That's kind of what they call it. A slip up. Okay. (laughs) No, that's what they call it. I'm just telling you they're you know, the terminology that they use. And then nowadays, if they do that, they're supposed to go to their sexual addiction group, like leader or who's their mentor and tell them. And then a lot of times there's like this 24 hour rule, then they have to tell the spouse and then they, you know, work out why it happened and, and all that. I mean, I've never gotten to that point because I, you know, I didn't, I didn't choose to try again after the third time, which is what happened in 2020. So again, you're doing all this counseling. You did give him a warning though at at this point, didn't you? Yeah. Well, and then I, I mean, that was a difficult time too, although I really, really leaned on the Lord. I had another different, really good friend who was really supportive. And then, you know, my sister-in-law who we were close and you know, then I had told my family, but it was really, really hard for my family. So I didn't feel a lot of support from my, my sisters or my family. In fact, my family, most who talked about it thought I should divorce. My husband's family was like, divorce is not an option. So I felt very torn and really just called on the Lord, did a lot of deep introspection. And I, I, There were verses from Psalm 62 that one day I was just crying and praying that were like, wait on the Lord. The Lord is, you know, he alone is your rock and your salvation, you know, and just that word alone, only God is your rock and salvation. That's the only one that you can, you know, wait on. And so I just, I got the feeling that God was telling me to wait. So I just waited and waited and waited. Really about a year, we were separated. My husband lived in a hotel. We still worked together. We still practiced together. I changed my office day so I wasn't in the office the same day as him, but I still assisted him on surgeries. His big cases, that's what I usually did. And I had cut my workload down, you know, basically after just D-Day number one, because I don't know. I didn't want to be so busy with work. I wanted to be there for the children. You know, I made decisions, you know, in retrospect, was it right? I don't know, but it's, it's what I did. So ultimately, you know, you, you, you told him at this point, if this happens again, I can't take it. So then when I decided, okay, I'm going to give it one more chance. I did say to him, I cannot, if this happens again, I just, I, I won't be able to take the pain. And he he acknowledged that. And then same thing, gradually I came to trust him again. I completely forgave him. I never 
held it out to him, to his face. I mean, maybe I should have been more like, you know, are you doing your accountability and are you, but I didn't want to be his mother. No. And Leslie says not to do that. You're, you're not to be his policeman because any real change has to come from his heart. It yeah. can't come from you being the policeman because then it's not a real change. It, and it's not a real marriage. No. So he did have like covenant eyes on the computer. He still went to a local counselor. You know, he supposedly had this accountability group. And so, like I say, gradually over time, I came to trust him and, you know, those things sort of faded away. Although I think the covenant eyes stayed on the computer. I didn't really use computer hardly at all. And then, out of the blue again in 2020 august of 2020 was now my third discovery day so now that affair started in 2018 so that had been you know 15 16 years and i think that's accurate because in the counseling and that that we've done this time around we did do a formal disclosure which is part of sexual addiction therapy now a full disclosure with a polygraph so i don't you know i'm 99.9 percent .9 sure there was no affair between 2003 and 2018 when he started this next one up and at this time it was right before your daughter's wedding is that right oh, yeah it was just about five weeks before my daughter's wedding so, you know, it was same thing. It was just horrible. I couldn't believe it. I was in so much shock. So now the decision is, you know, who, who knew? The only ones that knew were my two sons and their wives, because my one son is who figured it out, actually. That's a whole, another whole long story. And also my sister in-law and her husband who had been with us through this whole thing and so he kind of thought same thing that we should tell that it should be in the light but I I was just I can't do that my daughter's so excited we spent all this preparation this is her special day I don't want to take away from that on the other hand I felt you know dishonest with like my my soon-to-be son-in-law and my in you know her my daughter's in-laws but I don't know I just thought it still would be better for for them and so you went to this wedding so I went to this wedding that's a joyous occasion and I just tried to hold it together which I was able to and you know we had the wedding which was gorgeous and beautiful and both my daughter and son-in-law now say they're glad mom that you know, that I did that for him. And, you know, I said, if I'm protecting my kids, which really D-Day number two, I think the, a lot of the reason that I gave them another chance is that I thought it would be the best for our children. Yeah. And, and I, I think it was, can I ever really know? I don't know, but I have good relationship with my kids. And in a way, them finding out round two was helpful this time because yeah. the kids knew it had happened before. 
they weren't as blindsided they weren't as i mean they still were blindsided but not as you know they knew it had happened before so jane in in your processing each time that this would happen there was a belief system that you had that kind of guided you tell me what beliefs that you had i think the biggest one was just that i just never considered divorce an option that I had committed in sickness and in health, you know, till death do us part, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, since that time, I've come to realize that I did uphold my end. My husband is who made choices that ended our marriage. Yes. But it took me a while to come around to that. So one of them was that. Another, I think, is you know, belief that sort of held me up is the whole idea that Leslie lately has talked about of the noble sacrifice, being self-sacrificial. And I can actually remember standing there in front of my husband, put my arms out like I'm Jesus on the cross going, you can keep hurting me, just keep hurting me. I think that was just something that I felt maybe you know, incorrectly now, but I felt maybe God was just calling me to do in my life. And I, d- I don't believe that anymore, but it was, a, I think, an underlying belief. But Leslie, also her teachings have really helped me with that, that God doesn't call me. He doesn't call me to stay in an unsafe place like that if I, if I have the ability not to stay in that place. And then I think kind of a third sort of thing that limited me is I'm sort of a competitive person. And I think I underneath everything was that I didn't want to be a quitter. And maybe wow. even that I didn't want to quote unquote lose, which same thing, I had to work through that. And I don't see it that way anymore. Now I see it as more God has something different for my life and it's not what I thought. And I have to let go of what the outcome is and how I'm going to achieve what he's calling me to do at this time in my life. And I can't go back and change things. So at some point you found Leslie's teaching and conquer. How did you come across Leslie? I think because I was Googling like betrayal trauma or something on the phone, somehow something came up with Leslie talking on it. And I'm like, who is this person? And she is saying things that I think in my heart I knew, but I had never heard anyone say them. And she's backing it up with scripture. And I'm like, wow. And it was just, it really was kind of life-changing for me. She, she said things like that just reached into my heart. Like if you're in a, well, first of all, that you have to, you have to face the truth. So the truth was that I was in a destructive marriage. I mean, most people would say, of course you're in a destructive marriage, but I really didn't think so for most of my marriage, except for these three nuclear bombs. But I'm like, okay, first I have to have the truth, you know, recognize the truth that I am in a destructive marriage. And then she's saying stuff like, in a destructive marriage, your number one priority is not to save your marriage. Your number one priority is to be the person God's called you to be, to live a holy life, to be healthy and strong inside, to face the future unafraid, 
just to hear someone say that was just so empowering to me. And other things she'd say, like, it's unrealistic and unbiblical to believe that you can continue in a healthy fellowship with someone who repeatedly sins against you. So just. She also asked you some pretty pointed questions that you were forced to answer. Oh, yeah. I think you you talked um, to me before about how she asked you if it was a pattern and thrown your pearls before swine. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. I mean, I had to recognize that this was a pattern in our marriage. She was talking about verses of throwing your pearls before swine. Well, he's already done this. Why would you do that? This is your one precious life and your one precious heart. So she had a a lot of scriptural examples. She likes to talk about Abigail, you know, doing a hard thing, you know, when her husband was a destructive type person and she ended up saving the the nation, just all kinds of examples. So you, eventually you joined Conquer, Leslie's private membership program. So I started, she must've been doing some of her talks right about then. And that's how I learned about Conquer. And I was like, this inexpensive of a price for this valuable counseling? How could I not? So yeah, I joined Conquer as soon as I was able to join it. So I've been in about two years and it has been invaluable to me. Not just Leslie, all her coaches, I've listened to all of them. I think they're all very well qualified. They come from a little bit different backgrounds, I think, of their training and expertise, but together, you know, it's just a great resource for women you you just you can really hardly put a price on it in my opinion give give our listeners an idea of some of the things that you learned in the conquer program or, or are still learning and how they really changed your belief system and how you dealt with this destructive marriage Right at the beginning, I did, you know, what was recommended, which Leslie has a whole program that even people like me, technologically challenged, I could figure out how to do it. So she led you through different phases, which I can't remember right off my mind. I think the first is just realization that you are in a destructive marriage. Next is safety, which is really a high priority for her, which which I think is true. Physical safety, but emotional safety. How do you get safe? So that's next. And then I think next is stability. And anyways, it goes through about six phases to eventually to have post-traumatic growth from what has happened to you. And to be able to see it from why did this happen to me being a victim to being an owner of how can I, you know, kind of use what's happened to me to go forward and even to eventually grow and maybe be better than you were before, which seems impossible when you're in the pain of it all. But anyways, so anyway, you would do, there was homework with scripture. That was another big, because there were other groups that I could have joined even more specific to betrayal trauma, but because this was a Christian group, that was really important to me. So scripturally, biblically based was really important to me. So that was, you know, the, that and I just, I mean, I just, Leslie's just told it like it was. And 
just spoke to my heart in a really deep way of things that I knew were true, but never could verbalize and had never heard anyone else verbalize. But anyway, so that was why I joined, chose to join Conquer. So it went through these modules where you'd have a little homework with scripture verses and that, and then you'd listen to a little video by Leslie on that topic. So there were these modules within each of those six sections. So I worked through most of those, some of the audios I just listened to when I was driving, but anyways, they were all excellent, just excellent. And also she had a book, What to Say Before You Say I Don't, that she put together with an attorney. It was very helpful. Things to sort of have your ducks in a row, you know, if you're thinking about separating or that possibly this might to lead to divorce down the line. So that came right away. And then she would do these webinars that you could go on and she would just give some teaching and then take people's questions. And she like, she didn't have to look anything. She would just answer those questions like unbelievable. And same thing with a scriptural basis and that. And, you know, I don't know. You kind of does. She does that. She or her coaches will do regular live phone calls as well with our conquer members and answering their questions and on top of all of this homework and curriculum that they have available plus the facebook group really helpful you can see same thing you get you understand that you're not alone and i think that's really helpful you understand that you're not alone in what you're going through and people will comment on there or ask questions or be struggling with something and people will chime in or have different resources. So that's really, really helpful too. You actually carried around a little book of quotes. Is that right? Oh, I have a whole list. I already did a couple (laughs) of them for you, but oh yeah. You want to know a few more of them? Yeah, I do. Some of these things, Leslie, that I just I won't live like this anymore. And I don't think God's calling me to, you know, same thing, just that idea that no, maybe God's not calling you to just suffer longer, self-sacrifice just for the sake of the marriage, putting the marriage above your health and safety and welfare when it's destructive. So that one, and, and her other one that, kind of speaks to me from the medical standpoint is sometimes the consequences of sin are permanent no matter how much cpr is given the marriage is just has died so that was helpful for me because that happens in real life you can be right standing next to a person and they code in the hospital and you can do everything an advanced airway cpr within a minute you know all the drugs that can be administered and sometimes the patient just dies. And so I kind of felt like I was at that point in my, in my marriage with, with my husband that I just, you know, couldn't do it anymore. Plus I'm older. I'm like, you know, I got completely fooled. What if I'm completely fooled again? You know, I'd be ancient. I'd be elderly. So I was just like, God, you know, I'm just going to believe that you have something different in mind for for this fourth quarter of my life you said there was one thing that she said that really helped you about taking the next right step do you want to talk about that 
my whole processing of this is something that Leslie talks about a lot, which is you have to be able to trust God with the outcome and you have to let go of the outcome. And, and that's hard for me because as a, you know, as a physician, as a surgeon, you want to be really sure of what your outcome is, you know, before you do something. So this was that you're going to try to be in God's will and do as he directs, but you don't know what's going to happen in the future and you have to be able to let that go. So that, that was another thing that was really helpful for me. Another thing she said is just a simple thing that you can say in your mind, there were good things with that person, but the poison was just too much. And that's sort of how I feel too. And Leslie interviewed Gretchen Baskerville, who wrote the book, The Life-Saving Divorce, which was super helpful to me too, as a Christian, she's a Christian. And she said something really similar that I wrote down and think about a lot, which is basically the same thing that, that Leslie said. She says, destructive behavior, whether deliberate or not, is a valid reason to leave. And you don't have to hate a person to divorce them. You don't have to paint them as all bad. People are complex. Some are good in certain areas, but unable to be safe marriage partners. So that's kind of what Leslie has said too. So those kind of things just really help me to be able to make the decision to end our marriage. My husband did still want to reconcile. 38 years is a long time. 38 years is a long time. I mean, your lives are so interwoven. So it has been very hard, but I just felt like I needed to do Leslie's core things, which was to be courageously committed to the truth, be open to wise others in the Holy Spirit, which I think I've done, to be responsible and respectful. And then that E has been really a big one for me to be empathetic, which I am empathetic and compassionate toward my husband. I, I really feel that way. I hope he heals. I really do. But I, that was another thought that kind of came to me. I don't think he can do it being married to me for whatever reason, because I'm sort of kind hearted or forgiving. I don't know why, but maybe he can heal not being married to me. I hope he can. I know recently I was talking to Leslie and she said, you know, there are two main paths, I guess, to a person's decision to truly repent. The first path, you know, they could repent after hearing words, whether that be counseling or a sermon or reading a book or whatever, and that could draw a person to repentance. But another path is sometimes consequences. And there are some people that have to feel the consequences of their sin to wake them up. And I hope losing a 38 year marriage would be a consequence that would wake your husband up and cause him to truly repent. Yeah. Yeah. Leslie has a little saying of that too. She said, is it best to give the gift of consequences so that by experiencing the pain of one's own sinful choices, they are more likely to wake up to the destructiveness of their own sin. So yeah, that's another one I carry around. So I don't know. I hope he does. Same thing. I have to let go of that outcome because, you know, those are his choices and his his own path to pursue. Jane, what does 
what does your, I mean, it's only been six months and your marriage was actually dissolved, right? A dissolution. Yeah, we had a dissolution, which is, we just decided between ourselves how to split our assets. I had an attorney. He did not get an attorney. Dissolution, according to my attorney, is very similar to an uncontested divorce, except for the dissolution, at least the state I live in, my husband had to come to the court for it to be completed in front of the judge. And the reason I did it is that in our church, I didn't know if being divorced would prevent me from being in any kind of leadership like I had done been like the facilitator for women's Bible study years ago I taught Sunday school you know that sort of thing so I didn't know so and my husband was willing to do either one so I did the the dissolution in case there was something in the bylaws about being divorced. I'll tell you what though if if you attend a church that would prevent you from being in ministry because you divorced a habitually unfaithful man, that's a church with some messed up theology. Yeah, and I I don't think that's the case, but I don't know. They had a meeting about it, you know, the bylaws shortly. I did meet with our pastors to try to just tell my story a little bit and mostly to be available if they would come across anyone that was in my situation that I'd be willing to you know be there as as a person that they could talk to if they wanted to you know and I could be sort of a resource to them so Jane what does your life look like now six months after this dissolution and you're beginning a completely new life at an age when you were expecting to be heading into your sunset years with your husband. What is what does life look like now post-divorce? We were planning on retiring from our practice and all that when all this happened, which we are no longer working in that practice. I had always worked at a different hospital too, doing just a little bit. So I am actually still working. I I enjoy it. I'm good at it. It was kind of a safe place for me. I felt respected there. You know, all these things that were painful for me going through another D-Day. But anyways, so I still work. But I would say my overall, I mean, I still have times of sadness and grief and loss and pain. Not as much anger anymore, but still sometimes. But I'm coming to, I would say, a peace. And just peace that God has got this. And... He's working in my life in ways that I never expected, never would have wanted most ladies in in betrayal trauma. You know, that is not something they ever would have wished for themselves. So I would say a place of peace and a place where I'm just kind of open to God saying, I'm in the fourth quarter of the ballgame based on my age. And just, you know, here's my life, whatever you want me to do with it, I would I want to do that. So financially, I'm in a position where I can try to be supportive to like betrayal trauma groups or, you know, just groups in general. I just went on a medical mission trip where we ministered to trafficked women and their children in the Central America. That was really impactful 
to help these women in prostitution and help, try to help them get out. So somehow, you know, I'm in this, you know, area where I know a lot about, you know, sexual addiction, sexual issues, betrayal trauma. So those are some of the. So you're using what areas. happened to you for, for good. Yes. You're letting God I'm, use it. I'm definitely trying to. And like Jane, I say, I spoke to my pastors and they were pretty receptive, asked their permission if they would take, they took Gretchen Baskerville's book because she's got quite a chapter there on abuse within the church of women so that maybe they could become more educated and they were receptive to that. And I also gave them a copy of Leslie's book, The Emotionally Destructive Marriage, and they were receptive to that. And then awesome. I've got, you know, a list of things that like I want to, I'm going to try to call focus on the family because I've supported them a lot in the past and just kind of see, get into their counseling thing and try to see, because my impression from some of these leaders in betrayal, trauma and partner support in the Christian realm is that focus on the family kind of is values the marriage over the people in it, yeah. to put it in Leslie's terms. And to try to explore that a little bit with them and to try to give them maybe my story if they're receptive to it and try to see, do they, are they recognizing sexual addiction and pornography because it's growing by leaps and bounds so bad. with all the access to the internet and so on. It's, it's really destructive and just trying to try to ex explore that with them. So that's one of the things, you know, that I kind of want to, you know, zone my list of things to move forward with. And that's amazing. So. Jane, if you could talk directly to a woman who is in the midst of being married to a man with sexual addiction, who has been betrayed or is waking up to one of these nuclear events where she's finds out that her husband's been unfaithful, what would you say to her specifically? I think I would just tell her that her, her pain is so real. It's so valid. She did not do anything to deserve that, that there are people who care deeply about her there are many people who are really well trained in that that can really help her and support her. If she's a Christian, that God loves her deeply. He cares about her safety. He cares about her life. He loves his. He loves her kids more than she does. And to seek help, and help is available. And Conquer is one of those resources that. Even though it's not specific to betrayal trauma, it would be a huge area of support. Jane, thank you so much for sharing your story and being with us today. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Relationship Truth Unfiltered. If you need clarity on whether your marriage is difficult, disappointing, or destructive, go to leslievernick.com forward slash start for Leslie's free quick start guide. It's totally private and will help you get clear on your next step. Again, that's lesliebernick.com forward slash start. 
Until next time, may God bless your relationships with him, with yourself, and with others.